Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. My guest is Kevin Fagan. He's a longtime crime beat reporter for the San Francisco Chronicle. He is an expert on serial killers. He has personally witnessed seven executions. I find that interesting, shattering, scary, all those dark words. Here is Kevin to share his experience with us. back to something that interested me when you and I first started talking. You said you had been present at several executions. Can you, as a reporter, take us into that? Well, that came up again this week. I wrote a story about how the governor is going to close death row, and he's put a moratorium on execution. So we may never have them again in California. I watched, I witnessed seven executions here in San Francisco, uh, or the Bay Area. It's actually San Quentin Prison. And I uh, covered Tim McVeigh's execution in Indiana. The executions here, the first one I watched was in 1993. We started them again in 1992, and I covered all of them, either outside the gates, in the prison, or in the death chamber. And first one I saw was 1993. It was David Mason, a multiple murderer who was gassed. And that was the last gassing we did here in California. We only have one death row. Uh, and he took 14 minutes to die in front of us. Uh, he dropped cyanide pellets under his chair in a sealed chamber with big glass windows where we watched. And, um, you know, he bucked and convulsed and heaved for 14 minutes until finally he went limp and they said he was dead. Uh, uh, the next one was an injection, the first lethal injection in the, in the state. And that was a guy named William Bonham, the freeway killer, who raped and killed dozens of boys in LA and threw them out on the freeway like trash, naked. Jeez. And uh, that, that one uh, that one probably struck me uh, more than, than any of them because there were so many victims. And so you had the room filled with so many survivors of those moms and uncles and brothers and you know, whatnot, holding pictures of, uh, of the dead kid. And trying hard not to cry and convulse themselves while they watch this thing happen. And uh, uh, that was that was intense. What was his death like? Was he crying? Was he begging? Was he stoic? Watching this guy die, um, he I think I described it back then. He looked like someone's grandpa. You spend 20 years on the road and you, you, know, you, you kind of chill out, uh, mostly. Uh, not all of them had. Do they ever express remorse? before they are injected. Talk to me about that. Yeah, some of them. Well, if you've ever seen Dead Man Walking where they, you know, they jack Sean Penn up and he, you know, makes an impassioned statement, that doesn't happen in San Quentin's death chamber. Uh, the guys that I watched die and the others who also died uh, were placidly let in, strapped down on a gurney, didn't say anything. If anything, they whispered something into the warden's ear. That they were already drugged in advance so, so that they wouldn't have any scenes in the uh, death room. Well, so they wouldn't panic. Yeah. I mean, they were still 
fully awake. Let me tell you, they had to walk to the gurney. You know, it wasn't like they were carried or dragged in. Um, and Dave Mason had to walk to the chair where they strapped him in so they could drop the cyanide pellets under it. Um, they, they were, but none of these weird scenes. The, the most dramatic scene that I witnessed was uh, with Tukey Williams. He was a, a gang founder in LA. And um, uh, the, the staff had to hunt for a vein for quite a while. And he was pretty muscle bound. He was a, he was a pretty well-built guy. And at one point he looked up and jacked his head up and said, do you guys know what you're doing? Something like that. Uh, that that's, that's as dramatic as it got. Um, there were no scenes of sobbing or screaming or calling out or anything like that. A couple of the guys would look, crane their necks to look through to the, the window to the people who were there to represent them. And there were generally not very many people there to represent the condemned man. It was all victim survivors, really, so to speak. Are the relatives of the condemned person invited to these events? Sure. Yeah. They are. Yeah, but it's like I said, it, in, in this state, before we stopped doing executions in 2006, uh, it was 20 to 30 years before you made it from prison to yeah. death chamber. Long time. You know, relatives died, they moved away, they, yeah, yeah. Does it have any lasting impact on you? Because in my day job, um, I always think you cannot unsee something. A horrible accident, a terrible epileptic or mm. other seizure, you can't erase that from your mind. Have you tried to erase these things or do you, how, do you, how have they affected you? I guess is my question. I, I guess I have a lot of worse things to have to erase from my mind. You know, I've been shot at, stabbed, you know, death threats. I've watched people burn to death in the 89 earthquake. Um, oh. I've stood alongside hacked up and shot up bodies. I mean, there's, there's, there are worse things to see than watching someone in a sanitized, antiseptic kind of environment be strapped down and then just look like they're staying asleep the whole time. Wow. It's, uh, you know, you do your job. Someone has to watch these things because yeah. There's an important responsibility. You have to make sure that the state is doing it the way it's supposed to. The first injection we saw, they had a curtain drawn until they pulled it and the guy was already strapped down. Well, that wasn't right. We have to see them bring him in, strap him down, put in the needles, because uh, you know, otherwise you don't know what happened to the guy before they finally, you know, push, push down the plunger. It's um, yeah, it's you have to, see, and it has to be somewhat objective. Who's not rooting for one side or the other? And that's us in the press. You got to watch it and report it. What do you remember about Timothy McVeigh, the Oklahoma bomber's death? Oh, it's, uh, that was a, a weird scene. Uh, there was this crazy circus atmosphere that, that set up outside the penitentiary in Terre Haute. Um, with the, and, and a lot of times outside the gates, you get the pro and con people. Uh, it's like that... Um, there's a song about uh, about death row in, in Texas where the kids come with their beer and all and you know they're yelling shouting and yeah it's it, it, there's that kind of scene you get people who are gleeful at having someone put to death and then people who are anguished about it and they had that scene in Terre Haute you had that scene in San Quentin and in Terre Haute we uh, uh, there was such interest in it uh, that you know the TV guys all had little 
satellite camp. trucks yeah yeah with the you know the tents set up and you know gourmet food it was it was weird we do not have gourmet food i saw at execution food. you I, wouldn't yeah. know gourmet food <laughs> do not i beg to differ with you well i was eating the mcdonald's while those guys were dining it was it was just a, a bizarre scene it was not as straightforward as it probably as as i think it should be and then we drew straws at 4 a.m for who was going to go in and watch Really, uh, McVeigh, the executor. Only one person, one of you allowed, one from print, one from TV, right? I think that's how it split out: radio, TV, print. Yeah. And I didn't win. I mean, I didn't, you know, win, so to speak. I I didn't draw the right straw. Uh, so what what happened was the witnesses went in, they did it, and then they came out and told us everything that that happened, and we asked them questions. So then I wrote the story based on that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, that was a scene. And that guy, that guy was unrepentant. Yeah, he was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand why you would drag totally uninvolved people into your own little battle. Um, innocence. I, I don't, I've never been able to understand that from any point of view. I think it's mental illness. I look at every one of these guys. If you look at someone who's killed many people or, or you know, blown up a building like Mabe did, is that a sane person who does that? What what part of you is sane that, that has you plunge a knife into someone dozens of times or shoot them in the face or rape them and then shoot them and then shoot more people? That is not a sane behavior. Uh, I think there's a psychosis that, that's involved, uh, psychotic, sociopathic, any of a number of things. It's, it's not, like, uh, not like us. Thanks for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime and on Instagram and Twitter at Primetime Crime underscore. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Thanks a lot.